Welcome to the Alliance of Social Entrepreneurship podcast series. My name is Ilse, and here we hold conversations with creative and inspiring entrepreneurs. I hope that with this podcast, you get the ideas, knowledge, and encouragement to create your own business that makes a positive impact on the people and the planet. Hi, Russ. Hello, Elsa. Today we are joined by you and you have many, many roles to play in social enterprises. You're the branding expert, entrepreneur, and as as I said, behind the scenes, I was reading your book also on Rise Up, How to Build a Socially Conscious Business, which really inspired me for this conversation. So I have a lot of questions to ask, um, but why don't we start with you telling a little bit more about yourself and your interest in social enterprises. How did you come to to work here? Oh, you know, Ilza, I think I always had it in my heart. I, uh, you know, started my business in 1991, so nearly 30 years ago, and we had social responsibility as one of our core values right from the very uh, get-go. And I, I think to me, uh, you know, it's challenging to be uh, in a small business, but apparently I, I like to layer on additional challenge. The uh, uh, challenge of uh, making a financial profit just isn't enough to motivate me. I need more meaning from uh, my work, and the way I do that is to operate a social enterprise that uh, contributes uh, socially and environmentally to the world. And my main big question, I think, also when when I'm researching and thinking of enterprises, and it has been for years. Um, Is it easier for NGO to transfer to the social enterprise, or to, or for the enterprise to transfer into more social social responsibility? Because I believe not all uh, establishments start as socially social enterprise per se. Right. Well, that's an interesting uh, question as to which uh, is easiest to uh, uh, transfer. And, and I'm going to say that, you know, there's probably a, a method for both that does not necessarily change the institutional charter. I think for uh, NGOs, it's to try and increase the amount of uh, earned revenue that uh, propels their uh, organization to, to create products and services that can be sold in the marketplace and are unbundled from, say, like uh, getting uh, grants and uh, charitable donations. And then, of course, for uh, private businesses, it's just to adopt multiple stakeholders instead of just trying to serve shareholders. You would sure serve shareholders as well as uh, your community, the environment, your your work workers, uh, your customers, and, and so on. So in your head, what is and what is not social enterprise then? Uh, what is and what isn't? That's a fantastic question, Ilza. I've never been uh, asked that. I think you have to have uh, something that is integrated into your uh, uh, corporate charter that actually puts a, a, a stakeholder-centric approach first and uh, uh, foremost. It can't simply just be greenwashing of marketing through cause campaigns or what have you. I think you need to uh, uh, put it uh, into your articles of incorporation and your bylaws that this is a part of who you are as a company and that you exist to create a, a profit for many different groups, not just shareholders. Mm -hmm. So my maybe that's that's a pretty st stark example. Mm -hmm. 
I think my question is also coming, I'm coming from the NGO world, which is basically purpose-driven. And then I see a lot of social enterprises which does a little good charitable job and they call themselves social enterprises. Let's say they employ one person with a certain kind of disability and they call them social enterprise, whilst maybe there are some companies who do it naturally because it's, you know, it's normal <laughs> and they don't call themselves social enterprise. So, um yeah, I don't know. Maybe you can comment on that because I believe you, you have seen such a cases as well. Oh, sure. I think, uh, you know, as, as part of the problem is the entire vocabulary of uh, social enterprise or social impact or purpose driven or what have you. There are so many uh, d definitions of it. And I think that you, as an NGO, obviously, that is like core to your purpose, right? To serve a constituency, not create a, a financial profit doing it and to have that drive the entire institution. I think what you get on the for-profit uh, side oftentimes is uh, uh, companies that will call themselves a social enterprise or they will integrate pieces of it because they quite simply are trying to placate customers or workers or what have you and appear as if they are more socially motivated than they actually are. I think the key thing on either either side of the, the spectrum, whether it's NGOs or for-profits, is that they have some sort of uh, a, a credible uh, foundation to fall back on, whether that's uh, actually starting your business primarily to uh, create a social or environmental uh, benefit, or uh, uh, if you certify in some way, you know, one aspect of that might be fair trade goods, another could be a B Corp certification through a rigorous assessment or what have you. But there, there need to be some proof points in the for-profit sector that uh, you don't necessarily need to have in the NGO world. But is there a, a reason for social enterprises actually to exist? Because I've also seen different opinions from entrepreneurs who say, well, we pay, um, pay good money for our employees and, you know, we have sustainability practices and we give some money for the charity mm, and we don't believe in social enterprise per, per se. Um, yeah, shouldn't it be all? <laughs> shouldn't be a shouldn't it be a norm for all enterprises to do something for the community for the common good? It 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 should be. Ilsa, and I think that's what many of us in the business world are, are trying to push for, and hopefully someday uh, we we will get there. and And I believe it's uh, that will happen for for three reasons. Uh, uh, starting with uh, workers, I think there's a talent shortage around the uh, uh, globe, and that uh, workers are generally more in demand uh, than the supply of them, and that the younger generations are starting to look to align their, their talent and their time with companies that behave in these ways. So that will force companies to change. I also think in the uh, marketplace that uh, uh, consumers are starting to look to buy not only products that are good for the world, but to buy from companies that are the best for the world as well. And then the, the last aspect, Ilza, I think, is uh, just investment capital. It's starting to flow to 
I don't know if you'd necessarily say social enterprises, but certainly to companies using ESG uh, 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 principles. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that, one of which is it uh, minimizes a lot of risk when you invest in companies that are behaving in uh, socially relevant uh, uh, ways. And also there's some uh, uh, very early research coming in that companies that uh, work in these ways actually outperform as far as their return on financial investment. Mm -hmm. How come? Because they're purpose-driven. I think because they're purpose-driven. That's everything from they're able to recruit the best employees, they're able to uh, retain them, they don't do things that cause the court of public opinion to uh, create a backlash against their products. And, you know, to be a, a cons uh, uh, a conservative or a conservator of uh, environmental uh, resources just primarily means that not only are you being good for the planet, but you're stewarding your financial resources as well because you're uh, uh, minimizing the uh, the use of en energy and also maximizing the the use of clean energy. What's your take on corporate social responsibility? And, and as I see the trend of more companies adopting something <laughs> around it. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I think it's actually an outdated term in some regards. I think uh, it's been around forever and companies have used it primarily in a, in a defensive sort of way. And it's also as a, a PR mm -hmm. uh, a tool more than anything to basically say, hey, we're, we're a good corporate citizen. We, we do these things. And then also on the environmental uh, standpoint, a lot of that has come through uh, sustainability and supply chain uh, monitoring to make certain that you don't have problems th throughout that are going to create problems. But I, I think that's kind of like if you look at the evolution of this, that would have uh, started. And then now we're getting into social enterprise and or social impact where, where companies are being formed or transitioning over to having that be at the core of their organization. I guess it's also a little bit difficult for the consumer who wants to support a good business um, to kind of check what is the good company to support because, you know, they have these CSR pages with a beautiful words yet. I mean, I've seen a lot of kind of charitable actions which actually benefit the company itself instead of really serving the community. Right. Well, um, you know, I'm totally fine with charitable uh, actions that benefit a, a company and the uh, community. If it's too one-sided, uh, it, it's obviously out, out of balance there. Um, so it really comes down to, so if I look at it this way, Ilza, like, the the leading uh, certification or way for a, uh, a a person to actually get uh, uh, deeper into a company would be B Corp certification. There are nearly four thousand companies around the the globe. It's uh, not necessarily a perfect certification. It's a self uh, assessment that companies go through, and that's probably the best way to look at a, uh, a company that's trying its best to be transparent with the uh, world. With whether it's with its employees or its suppliers, the community it works in, its customers and what, what have you. And I look at that in so many regards as, say, like a uh, the, 
the food labeling, right? I think most everyone can uh, relate to the fact that they'll grab a can of perhaps say like soup off the shelf and they'll look to see what the ingredients are and uh, the measurements with that. And I think B Corp certification is the closest thing we have to that to where you'd quickly be able to look at a company and look at the ingredients of its uh, social and environmental uh, impact. Mm -hmm. Something that I noticed, at least in my end, is that people are willing to support smaller companies with the purpose and because one of the things while what I noticed a lot of young entrepreneurs are afraid of is the competition of the big corporations because they have resources you know to develop further the product or the or the um, yeah service um, how would you encourage still to uh, pursue the dream uh, and, and some social costs at the same time Oh, geez. Well, you know, I'm an entrepreneur by nature. I haven't, uh, you know, met an idea in many regards that I haven't thought, hmm, let's start a company around that. So I'm somewhat uh, biased in my uh, approach here. And I think the way you, you let off with that question, which is, uh, I think people are increasingly turning to small local companies, those that have an authentic story of origination built around social impact or community or perhaps uh, a local impact or what have you. And that's something that the, the big companies just can't match. They also can't match the uh, ingenuity that uh, startup entrepreneurs bring to it. They can't uh, match the the grit and what have you. So I'd say, you know, the, the way the world is starting to uh, tilt would be in the favor of small uh, entrepreneurs who are starting social impact uh, uh, enterprises. Mm-hmm. What have been the most inspiring social enterprises that you have seen in, in action in your life? Oh, gosh, I'll, uh, I'll give you, I mean, there are so many. That's one of the amazing things about this community is I have a lot of uh, role models to look up to, people who are super smart, who are very engaged and they're using their uh, their livelihoods to actually create change in the world. Uh, two of them that I would uh, bring to mind, one of them is a, uh, a startup here in Boise, Idaho. It's called SALT, that's S-A-A-L-T, and they create uh, period uh, uh, care products uh, for women that are uh, reusable and uh, environmentally uh, friendly, and they also have a part of their model where they're helping uh, young uh, women in developing nations with period care, which enables them to oftentimes stay in school and receive an education. And they're just doing an amazing job. They're growing like crazy, and they're going to become, I think, one of the leading CPG uh, companies in the world someday. The uh, other would be a company called Cotopaxi, which makes outdoor uh, uh, gear and uh, equipment. And they've got a model which is to try and eradicate poverty throughout the world. And as far as the environmental component of what they're doing, they're also taking uh, uh, material from other outdoor manufacturers that uh, is leftover odds and ends and what have you. And that's what they actually use to create their products. So there's no, no virgin material going into that. It's all reclaimed sort of things into these very, very high quality products. And they've got quite a, quite a, quite a brand they're building. 
it's interesting that you mentioned also the social environment to get environmental aspects together because what I noticed there sometimes social enterprises which choose what to focus on but then there's also sometimes this integrity which which uh, place together the societal benefits the social benefits and environmental benefits which I think is more beautiful even so yeah that's where you just have kind of this uh, multiplier effect right so if you can combine the two in 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 one company and or your products mm-hmm. or or what have you then then you're really really uh, scoring so that's why i held out uh, cotopaxi and salt as two examples that inspire me so what i've seen throughout the years uh that's some enterprises that have been very popular social enterprises they yep. are not existing anymore and um, okay. so in, in my uh, kind of objective reality, what I see that a lot of social enterprises have a short lived life. And uh, right. my question would be, what do you think uh, could be the biggest, not failures, but kind of a barriers for the social enterprises to succeed? Well, geez, you know, if we're talking about, say, like for profit business social enterprises, <clears throat> um, uh, it would be interesting to parse that one out and see if there's a difference between for-profit social enterprises and then just traditional right. businesses. Because, because I think, you know, like maybe seven out of uh, seven out of 10 businesses, at least here in the United States, are no longer in business after five years. So it's a very risky mm-hmm. proposition to start your business, regardless of whether you're creating social and environmental uh, uh, impact. Um, and I, I, so I don't know what the answer is to that. I can tell you, you know, the, the key things are, it, it, you just need to have persistence, you need to have grit, and I think, that having a dynamic of actually creating resources above and beyond financial resources uh, causes a entrepreneur to actually have to work with more focus and, and moxie, and that probably serves them uh, well during the startup years. Mm. You have Oliver Ro- Ross <laughs> company. Yes, um, Oliver Russell. Oliver Russell. Um, could you tell us a little yes. bit more about this agency and what it does? Because I looked at the web page and it's a lot, a lot of wonderful things. Oh, yeah. Uh, our, our core business is uh, social impact branding. So we help uh, social enterprises primarily uh, with their, their brand strategy, whether they are uh, a, a startups or whether they are actually in need of a, uh, a rebranding in the uh, marketplace. Uh, we, we focus uh, principally on uh, companies in the uh, tech, healthy living, and uh, natural uh, foods uh, areas. And we work for uh, uh, primarily for-profits, but we also work with national NGOs as well, say like the Smithsonian Institute. We work with them on their bird-friendly coffee. Uh, in addition to that, we have a consulting uh, arm that helps uh, guide leaders who want to transform their companies through uh, social purpose and work to engage their em- employees around that uh, uh, purpose. And we are also uh, developing educational uh, online educational tools that uh, can help and inspire people around the category of uh, 
uh, social enterprise. So for instance, we just created a course called B Corp Basics, which gives people a, a, a pretty easy way to gain a, uh, a quick understanding of uh, what B Corp certifications in that community are like. And if you could give some a few tips for what you've seen, what, what is the usual mistake in branding? Oh, the usual mistake in branding would be uh, to think that creating a logo is your brand and then just jumping into business instead of uh, trying to think about what's the core purpose of the company, uh, what is the brand's position in the marketplace that can be a competitive differentiator, what are the company's values, what's the personality that the brand has as far as uh, Uh, a differentiator uh, when it's uh, using its uh, uh, voice in the marketplace and then being able to apply those consistency with clarity and character across all of your uh, operations. And you mentioned also Goodwill certificate on your webpage. Maybe you can tell a bit more. Oh, Goodwill. Uh, actually, uh, Goodwill started by an entrepreneur here in Boise, uh, Idaho, who's a, a friend of mine. And it was created with the intent of uh, uh, make uh, giving a, a starting point for companies who wanted to actually uh, uh, start uh, being gauged for how they perform socially and environmentally, but not have to take it to the degree of the B Corp assessment, which is fairly uh, rigorous. So this is like a uh, 10-question scientifically-based uh, 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 measurement that uh, gives you w- one way to prove, whether it's to your community or your employees or your uh, uh, other stakeholders, that you are uh, behaving in ways that uh, are beneficial to the planet. And going back to the company, I don't remember the, the vote that you had, but it's something around the, the best workplace. Yes. <laughs> oh yes. Am I correct? Yeah. So I want to ask. Yes. Uh, yeah, so I want to ask you more about the, the practices. So what? What's the reason behind you being the best workplace? Oh well, you know that gets rated by B Lab, which is the uh, NGO that runs B Corp certification, and it's based on a uh, score to your assessment regarding uh, workplace. And, and that includes factors that go everywhere from saying like the highest to lowest ratio of uh, pay in an organization, the type of healthcare benefits that you provide, um, do you have family uh, leave uh, uh, benefits, do you have flexible working arrangements for your workforce? Any number of sort of metrics that you're gauged on and for the, uh, I don't know, the past several uh, years, we've been in the uh, top 10% of B Corps, which uh, gives you that best for the world workers designation. Hmm. And what are the some, some specific practices that you can share that could inspire also others to, uh, to, to adopt similar strategies and practices? Oh, well, you know, uh, the one of which I'm, I'm probably most uh, uh, proud is to actually have paid family leave for a very, very small company. That's a big reach and investment uh, for us and most small companies. We, we have uh, 10 or fewer people generally um, do not have that. And that's uh, six weeks of uh, paid leave. I know in, in most of the developing world, that's uh, not a big deal. But here in the uh, U.S. it is. 
a couple of other things is we actually uh, will pay people to use uh, different forms of transportation than single-use uh, cars. So if you commute, if you ride your bike, if you walk, if you use uh, public transportation, we'll actually pay you to do that. And we have a uh, a benefit where uh, every every uh, a month we give people fifty dollars to uh, uh, in, invest in any way they choose uh, to make their their lives healthier. So that could be a, a, a bicycle seat for a child, that could be an ergonomic uh, desk over time, or that could be a membership to a, a, a gym or a new pair of running shoes. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that uh, that really fascinate me lately is this work workplace practices. And I read a book. I'm not sure if you know the Dumb Lions, the the why modern work work makes people miserable. Have you read that? No, <laughs> I will have to get a copy. Yeah, it's a fantastic book, but it talks a lot about the Silicon Valley and and that workplaces usually offer these superficial uh, things, uh, beer coming from the tap and and sofas and hammocks and everything else, but then they exploit people and they are not really treating them well. Um, you know, it's it's kind of, uh, we buy you this, but do not complain. So I, I wonder, yeah, <laughs> what's your take on the modern workplaces and maybe also seeing some, how some companies kind of motivate uh, talent to stay with them. But again, it's a little bit of uh, greenwashing in, in that area. Uh, yeah, I think it probably is greenwashing. I've never uh, worked in Silicon Valley, so I can't uh, comment on it from a, a firsthand uh, perspective. But I can tell you, you know, the, the dynamics of the relationship between employer and employee are changing dramatically. And it's the younger, well, it's two things I think are driving it. It's younger, uh, younger generations who have different uh, expectations and different sort of bonds to companies than prior generations did. And then I also think it's just the digital workplace. And I think the uh, the notion of work-life balance is outmoded because everything is blending together today. And, you know, I have uh, folks who are doing personal things during the traditional work day. And I have folks who are doing uh, work in the non-traditional work day. So I think it's really about trying to figure out how can you create a healthy and holistic work environment that uh, is, is not extractive of the resources, which, you know, are people in this instance and are more regenerative in nature. And I think it's an, kind of an on- ongoing sort of uh, uh, test and evolution. So what does work and life balance uh, look at your working place, maybe in your own personal life? Oh, man, I think I work too much. How's that? <laughs> uh, but I think that's the nature of also being the uh, the, the bosses as well. My uh, work life is I get up at 4 a.m. and I uh, uh, look over... Uh, various uh, news sources uh, to start my my day, whether that's the New York Times or blogs or what have you. And I'm most productive in the morning. Then I jump into the work and get what I really need to uh, get done, done. Then I hop on my rowing machine and I row for half an hour to an hour. And then after that, it seems like it's it's all Zoom meetings, podcasts and Zoom meetings and things like that. And then I, I live on a small farm 
And so I come home at uh, night and there's usually some chores to be done around the uh, uh, farm, a little bit of uh, labor. My wife is a flower farmer and she generally has a list of things for me to do. And then it's <laughs> dinner and bed. And oftentimes that extends across the weekend. I, I guess I'm fortunate in some ways that I, I really, really enjoy my work. So it seems more like doing things that I, I love rather than, than chores. How do you motivate your employees to uh, keep the life-work balance? Oh, you know, we have constant reminders to people to uh, rein things in, to uh, get up from their work desks, take a walk around the block, make certain that they are using the uh, paid time off that they have. And it, it seems like we have that one pretty well wired. It's, you know, the... The challenge of the last year around the globe, I think, has been one of uh, mental health for people as we deal with this, uh, this pandemic and the fears it's occasioned and the social isolation and what have you. So we, we try to, in, in some ways, I guess, we try to increase the amount of communication we have. And while we have expectations that people do their work, I'd have to say we have moderated those in, in some regards to uh, take into the account that it's very challenging right now. Something that inspired that I also found on your website is that you offer paid volunteering work. Can you tell us more? Yeah, we do. <laughs> we do. And uh, that this last year, that one's been a little bit hard, primarily because most of the work that we did would on, on volunteering would have been in person. And so that's largely gone away. However, we're thinking in June, at least here in Boise, Idaho, there are some uh, trail building uh uh, opportunities for a land trust here in town that would have us spaced out and working outdoors so we'll be able to begin that again. Um, we, we still do a lot of pro bono work using our branding services to help NGOs so that hasn't gone away during the pandemic. So how does it work? How does How do you organize this voluntary work? Oh, well, uh, people can do it individually, and all they have to uh, do is say, hey, I'm going to go uh, volunteer at this nonprofit, and they have uh, so many hours a month where they can and do that. I'll tell you what happens more than that generally is uh, once a month we go as a, a team, and we will go uh, volunteer and work at a uh, uh Nonprofit that could be at a food bank serving those who uh, are don't have enough uh, uh, nutritious food to eat. That could be uh, building f uh, trails. That could be serving home uh, meals to the homeless or what have you. And th that's where that's where rubber really hits the road, and you get a feeling that you're creating an actual impact. It's it's one thing to build a website for a nonprofit for uh, free, but it's another uh, thing to actually have a human connection and or see some physical work, say like a quarter mile worth of trail that's been uh, re rehabilitated because of your efforts. And I guess it's also a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to team build and connect with each other. Like this uh, guy that I mentioned, he was, he's good at criticizing all these uh, artificial team building games. So this could be also a good example of how to actually connect with each other. It is, uh, I'm, I'm sorry I overlooked that. I was going to lead with that. And I figured I'd come back to it. But yeah, it's fantastic uh, team building. And the, the great thing about it is uh, rarely 
if ever does anyone talk about work when you're out there doing this uh, volunteer work. It's usually about uh, life, families, passions, loves, observations, jokes, or what have you. And how many hours usually do you devote for voluntary work per month? I missed the first part of that question. Yeah, how many hours per month do you uh, allow? <laughs> allow, I'm not sure if it's a correct verb <laughs> to do a voluntary work in a working time. Ah, uh, well, let's see. That's an interesting one right there. Uh, on For individuals, uh, we'll, we'll match up to uh, four hours. We do two hours each as a uh, group. And then the, uh, the volunteering as far as pro bono work is uh, far beyond that. We have kind of a minimum of uh, 2% of our overall revenues or uh, 20% of profits is how much we put into that time mm -hmm. equation. Another thing that I wanted to ask you is about the women empowered women empowerment also you mentioned that gender equality is one of your focus of of the agency can you tell us a little bit more what do you think about the how do you empower women in business and how your company does that how we do that well for instance uh <clears throat> We help fund uh, social enterprises, uh, NGOs that are uh, led by uh, women that actually have uh, a benefit that they in turn create for uh, women. There's one called She, which is Style Her Empowered that actually uh, 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 makes uniforms and trains uh, women in Togo, West Africa to be seamstresses. Mm -hmm. And uh, we support their efforts. Uh, we have a workplace that is largely female by design. I think it's three-quarter female and half of our managers are uh, a female as, as well. Um, and then even on kind of a, a daily aspect, for instance, uh, we created a uh, inspiration alley by our office last year. And there are four pa uh, portraits of uh, social impact uh, heroes. Only one of them is a male. Three of them are women uh, from around the world. And that is by design. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing, the final thing that I wanted to ask you, um, still going back more to you as a social entrepreneur, entrepreneur how do you keep yourself motivated because i believe you have a lot of inspiration from the companies that work with you as well but i guess there comes a moment where you also become tired and and uh, your your powers and uh, are empty oh that's a really really great uh, question i'd say i do it by uh, three things I'll, I'll tune in to folks that uh, uh, inspire me and who are doing good work and uh, that gives me uh, a, a kick in the butt. Exercise is always super valuable to me, and that can help uh, get me into more of a, say, like a, a fighting mood where it's like, okay, I'm ready to go back and take on the world. And then the, the, the last one would be to be in nature. And whether, uh, whether I'm here on the farm getting my hands uh, dirty or whether I am uh, out in the desert or up in the mountains taking a walk, that's always restorative and rejuvenating to me. So those would be the three ways, people who inspire me, exercise, and nature. Well, thank you. Thank you, Russ, a lot. 
Thank you, Ross, for this conversation. And, and I wonder if there is anything that was left unsaid that you still want to say, especially to those people who are a little bit scared of starting their social venture, social business. Oh, I'd say uh, uh, don't be scared. The time is uh, right. I'd also say I'm a helper uh, by nature. My door is always open. So if there's any way I can be of help to you or to anyone who's listening to the uh, podcast, you can find me on LinkedIn, make a connection, and I'd be glad to help in any way I can. Thank you, Ross. Thanks for inspiration and, and the things you do to the world. And uh, well, we'll keep in touch. Oh, thanks. It's been wonderful. Hope you have enjoyed today's episode. You can follow us on the Alliance of Social Entrepreneurship Facebook page and find our episodes on all major podcast platforms. Alliance for Social Entrepreneurship is supported by EU program Erasmus+, which aims to support education, training, youth and sport in Europe.